Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. And now, here's your host, CEO and co-founder of Scouts, Max Hansen. Welcome back to episode 88 of the Built on Purpose podcast brought to you by Scouts. I'm your host, Max Hansen, the CEO of Scouts, where we find purpose-aligned and performance-proven leaders. Today, our guest is John J. Van S. If you live in Arizona, you likely know John J. as the top morning radio host from the John J. and Rich Morning Show on KISS FM. The John J. and Rich Show is a nationally syndicated morning show. John J. over the years has become a broadcasting legend and has been officially inducted into the Broadcasting Hall of Fame. Outside of work, John Jay is, a, is committed to running two foundations called Love Up, which is focused on helping children in foster care, and Love Pup, which rescues dogs. In addition to all that, he's a great husband, father, and he and I share a passion for working out and staying healthy to increase our lifespan as much as possible. John Jay, welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast. Thanks, Max. You know what? Your your assistant asked me for a bio, and I forgot. I'm, I'm a little unorganized. And if she wrote that, if you could send that to me, I'd like to put that on all my stuff. That was great. I, I actually wrote it just real quick. I mean, I, I, Did know, you? Wow, yeah, dude. I know you well enough. And, uh, wow. So it's been interesting. I mean, one of the things, and we'll get into this. One of the things I learned in re- doing some research on you is that you don't like doing research when you do interviews. So yeah. I researched enough to learn that about you, which I thought was interesting. But, um, uh, well, let's, the first thing I want to do is, uh, uh, happy Mexican Mother's Day. I know you oh, have a Mexican mother, right? Yeah, yeah, it's Mexican Mother's Day today, and, and uh, my mother is 100% Mexican. I'm half Mexican. I love it. I love it. I my wife told me that. I I asked her. I said, "Hey, I got John Joe on the podcast today," and she said, "Yeah, I just heard him talking. He was talking about Mexican Mother's Day." And uh, uh, thanks for coming on, albeit not face to face. I appreciate you dropping down to my level and doing a Zoom because I I know that that's not your favorite format. So I appreciate you uh, making the accommodation and jumping on here anyway. And I do, I will be with you. It is pretty ridiculous. We're sitting right down the street from each other and not doing this face to face. So I get why you want to do it face to face. Well, I yeah, think. you're like, like during COVID, right? Everybody's doing Zoom stuff, everybody, right? And then finally we're kind of, we're out of COVID and I never was a fan of Zoom stuff, but this audio to me sounds pretty good. That was always my problem. Like you could always tell when it was a Zoom interview and I didn't like it. And then I'm like, Max, bro, we're on the same street. Like, why don't I just cruise over? <laughs> but I get it. You're probably as OCD as I am, and you're used to doing these interviews the way you do. I mean, you've done 88 of these, right? So you like yeah. doing them on Zoom. I'm, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I did have to toy around. I, I eventually hardwired into like a gig speed, and by hardwiring, it removed any of the any noise or that the sound got a lot clearer. So that's been good. But if you don't mind, I'm going to just start throwing questions at you and jump in. Go. I'm, I'm ready. All right. Um, even though some of them might be self-serving, I, I, there's some stuff that I, now that I did some research, I want to learn for, more about. But uh, what's the most interesting going on in your life right now? Right now, this very second, um, it's actually, uh, to me, very interesting. My, 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 two of my boys are in college. One is in University of Arizona in Tucson. The other one is at Hawaii Pacific in, uh, in uh, Honolulu. And they both are coming home today. So it's a big, they've, you know, they've been gone for a long time, even though my son in Tucson comes home every once in a while, but my son in Hawaii, he's only come home once. So uh, like the whole family is going to be together in several, in a few hours from now. And that's, that's, that's a big thing going on in my life. 
Yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, our kids are similar ages, and I've seen John Jay uh, at the game, at his son's games, and with his kids, and he's very involved, which we'll get into here. But, uh, you know, one thing I want to ask you, um, I'm trying to get some stuff, like, right out of the gate. Uh, What motivates you to work out and focus on health and wellness so much? In my introduction, I assumptively shared that it was to increase your lifespan, but, like, I thought about it, and I'm like, that 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 is for me, but I, and, and I assume that's for you. But what? Because you work out pretty hard. I just want to know. And you try a lot of different things. So here's here's what happened to me. So I've been you know yo yo dieting my whole life, and then in 2007, here I was this dad of three boys, and my dad, who was 66 at the time, was in the best shape. My dad was an athlete. The dude ran on the beach every day with rocks. He had low body fat. And he just died of a heart attack like that. Just bam, no, no symptoms, just death. Right. And it scared the hell out of me. Then, uh, 12 months later, my mom gets brain cancer and she dies of a brain tumor. And I was like, Oh my God, man. It was like, and, and I was, I was 340 pounds mm. and, and I'm six, four, I was 340 pounds. Just to give you an idea right now. I'm, I'm 240. Uh, I got all the way down to 206 pounds, but I was 340 pounds and. I was playing with my kids after my dad died and they were literally crawling on me. You know, like I wasn't playing with them. They were just on me and I was like sweating and I was like, this is, and my dad died. And I was like, I got to be around for these guys. Like I got to be around. So immediately I cut my, I changed my diet. Like the next day I started doing Bikram yoga, hot yoga in 2007 and saw results. And it actually the Bikram yoga got me through my dad's death, my mother's death and just it's just an amazing practice. It's 26 poses. So I started eating right. And I was like, I got to be around for these guys, for these kids. So that's what started it for me. Yeah. 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 That's good to know. I, I like I said, I was assumptive and those are very, very good reasons. Sorry to hear uh, both your parents have passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad has passed and wasn't in the best shape when he died. But uh, so, so I kind of understand a, a bit of that in, in great reasons. Do you think, like, the question is, do you think that you train hard? Boy, that is a great question. I don't think I train hard. I think right now I train enough. I think, you know, movement is medicine, even though I'll, I train five days a week. And when I'm done, I'm pretty wiped out. And the next day, I'm pretty sore. But I think I've trained harder. But I think now I'm training smarter, if that makes sense. Um, so I've, and I'm really happy with my results because, you know, as a guy who's fluctuated with weight, the, the comments people make to me, I can tell when, when I'm doing things right. For example, when I'm overweight, people call me big guy. Hey, big guy. What's up, big guy? Right. And then as, as I start to lose weight or feel better about myself, I'll get compliments like, are you losing weight? You know, hey, man, you're looking pretty good. Then I'll get one. Whoa, look who's looking fit. You're looking fit. Right. Those kind of compliments. But my favorite, which is I've been getting a lot lately, is, man, you look really healthy. And that to me is like, wow, that is the best compliment, right? Because I want to be healthy. Like you want to be skinny, but they're skinny fat. Like when I dropped down from 340 to 206, I had no muscle. I was doing yoga every day, sometimes two, three times a day. And I just got thin, but no muscle. Then I started bulking up and I started lifting. And then I changed my weight. So now I'm about 240 right now. I want to be about 230. Uh, body fat, I, I, I'm at 13, 12%. I think I'd like to be at 10. I'd like to be at 9% just for a day so I could say I was single digits. But but right now, so I, I'm, I'm on the right path. My trajectory is looking pretty good. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I was gonna, I was gonna save, save the stem cell stuff till later because I wanted to get more into your story, but fuck it. We'll get into it a little bit of it right now. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I want to share just with the audience to give them a, a frame of reference here. So I do getting stem cells wasn't even on my radar. I happened to be at a restaurant and John Jay was sitting at the bar with his wife and, uh, he was telling me about him getting stem cells and, and how great he felt. And then coincidentally, I think about a week later, he was doing a podcast with the doctor uh, that that gave him the stem cells and also a couple other people which we get, in, get into that have been treated with stem cells. And he invited me to the podcast. I was playing golf with a client. That client canceled. So at the last minute, I actually ended up going to the podcast and hearing about the stem cells. And uh, so long story short, uh, John Jay, you've been down there twice to get stem cells. Is that right? Three times. Three times. Three times. Okay. And I just went down in April and I'm in a trial with uh, John Jay's doctor. It was the same doctor. I was just there today. But um, I wanted to jump in. I, I, I've shared this with a few people and a lot of people have interest in learning more. But I wanted to like, you know, just kind of ask you, uh, you know, how things have gone your second or third time around and, you know, just kind of <laughs> get into what you have seen as the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest differentiators as far as you know, the results after the stem cells. Okay. So I've gone three times. The last time I went, I actually did what's, what's called NK cells. I did the natural killer cells and I'll explain that in a second, but the stem cell thing, I've been fascinated with stem cells for a long time. And I always heard about like, Tony Robbins, right? I love Tony Robbins. And he was going to a clinic in Panama, I heard. So I was researching Panama and getting to Panama is a pain in the ass. And there's one clinic there. That's the clinic. And I saw this interview with Mel Gibson. Have you seen the interview with Mel Gibson? Mm-mm. Oh, yeah, I got to send you that. It's on YouTube. Mel Gibson, I think he was on Joe Rogan's show. His dad was like 100 years old, broken hips, broken everything. Mel Gibson went to this clinic in Panama and got his dad's stem cells. And his dad lived for like another five years and changed his whole life. And, st- and Mel Gibson goes, well, I'm at the, I- I've been really interested in this stuff for a while, but I don't want to go to Panama, right? I mean, I don't, I don't even know where Panama is. So, um, I'm at my doctor's office who also has a gym. You've been in the gym there and I'm working out and there's this older gentleman and he's on a treadmill and he's wearing a suit. I mean, like a business suit and he's got to be 78, 79 years old. And he comes over, he starts talking to me about stuff. And it turns out this guy's had a couple heart attacks. This guy, and he's very open about his, his health history. And he starts telling me about the stem cells. He says he's been to Panama, but now he found a better place, a cleaner place and a closer place, which is that clinic in Cancun, Rehealth. So I was so interested. He goes, there's a, there's a seminar tomorrow. He said, you should come to the seminar. I'm going to be there and I'm going to share my whole life. I'm like, I'm in man. Well, the, the seminar was hosted by my doctor because she got into this too. And so his name is Leo Buse. You, did you meet Leo? The, the, yeah, the guy, I did. Yep. Guys, that guy changed my life. Just spending time with this incredible human being and how much he gave back to the community he just gives and gives and gives. And He's this big time lawyer and he's just, he's powerful in the church and he's just a great guy. And I hit it off with this guy so much. So he says, I'm going down a Memorial weekend to Cancun. Do you want to come with me? I said, I'm all in. Um, so I went down with him to Cancun and, and he, he, in his plane and I was like, yeah, private plane. Let's go. I'm in. Right. But so I, we go. I'm there for four days. I get the stem cell. I got 220 million stem cells. And then I had another. 20 million put it injected into my back. I didn't have back problems, but I was there. So I was like, sure, man, everything I've heard, everything I've heard about these kind of stem cells, because they're stem cells in the United States. 
and then these kind of stem cells. And these stem cells are not allowed in the United States, I think, because they're like ultra powerful and and they're just like amazing. So they're apparently, you know, the stem cells in a newborn baby. So they don't know what they are yet. So when you put them in your body, they go in your body like aspirin. What They go to where you need. So I do these things with Leo. My wife and I went. She turned in a little vacation. Um, but, you know, you can't drink afterwards. You can't be in the sun. So here I'm in Cancun. My wife's like, let's go to the beach. No, no, let's have tequila shots. No. Right. So uh, I didn't do any of that stuff. Uh, and then I was waiting to, for some sort of magical power, some sort of something to happen after. But I didn't really feel anything. And then all of a sudden I realized, uh, you know, months after, and I don't know if you felt this yet, where all of a sudden I feel like I'm just operating at a different level than other people. I just, I can't explain it. Now, I am very sleep deprived. Like, I mean, I'm talking about maybe four hours a night. It's, I, I've been really focused on my sleep lately, but I can't, it just, because I get up so early, I go to bed late, I got kids, you know, Phoenix Suns are in the playoffs. So it's like I'm up late, like last night. So I just realized at one point, I'm just, I'm just a little, a little more above everybody, if that makes sense. I just feel like I'm operating differently. And I, is that stem cells? It's not stem cells. But I would continue to go on. Then all of a sudden, Leo was like, hey, I'm going to go again in, in October. And I'm like, okay, I'm in. So I took another friend of mine to that same seminar. I don't know if you remember an older Asian guy, Mr. On. He was there, 75, 76 years old. He's had chronic back pain for 15 years. I said, come to this seminar and learn about stem cells. I ended up taking him with me on Leo's plane to Cancun. And he got the stem cells. He, in the last five years, chronic back pain. He usually goes to Korea for five weeks a year. He couldn't go last year because he couldn't walk. I took him to Cancun. He got the stem cells. The first night after stem cells, he collapsed in his room. He couldn't even walk to the bathroom. He was in awful pain. We almost had to call 911. Got him back in bed. The next morning, he woke up, and he was like, Max, he was like a 15-year-old. He was like doing ballet kicks. His whole life changed. This is in October of last year. Three days ago, he called me. He goes, I just got back from Korea. I spent five weeks in Korea. He goes, I feel fantastic. I have no back pain. I want to go back and get more stem cells. So that's that's that level with him. Now, with me, there's this guy I know, and I haven't interviewed him yet. I want to. You should get him on your podcast, too. Um, what's his name? He's got these vitamins called symbiotic. You ever heard of them? Somebody just like, brought this up to me. Yeah. They're all like, they're all, um, they're, uh, for athletes or this amazing, apparently it's incredible vitamins. So I met, I, I, uh, his name is Shervin, Shervin. So Shervin and I started messaging each other about uh, a year ago and he goes here all the time too. And I said to him, he's young, dude, this guy's got to be in his thirties. And I'm like, I'm like, what? I go, what do you feel? He goes, I don't feel anything. He goes, it's just, he goes, I just know that I'm going to be around for a long time and I'm healthy as hell or something like that. Right. The way he, he's very spiritual, but, uh, so I plan on having him on the podcast soon. But so anyway, that's how I look at it with him is I feel like I'm at that level where I just know that I'm fixing myself. Like my dad couldn't do, like if I knew what I knew now before my dad had his heart attack, I would have taken him to get stem cells. So that's, that's, that's where I'm working at with my stem cells right now. How about you? Do you feel anything? Yeah, I'm starting to feel better. Today's uh, 30 days, and uh, I I'm starting to notice that uh, I just recover faster, less pain and aches. I'm working out pretty hard. I'm stronger for sure. Oh, really? And super hungry. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but I mean, this has been gradual. I mean, like two or three weeks ago, like you know, a week or two after, I was like actually not feeling that great. Um, almost having a little brain fog, which they said was abnormal. So it could have been something else, but 
anyway, I, I think I'm, I think now I'm starting to feel good and <clears throat> definitely super hungry. You know, my wife, she normally has really bad allergies. She has zero allergies now. Wow. So she was like, if that's, it's worth it just for that. So, uh, Anyway, it's you know I'm looking forward to the journey and looking forward to sharing uh, sharing how I feel and getting some more feedback from you. Well, get this: the second time I went, there was a woman I met on the plane. She was on the list for a lung transplant, um, and she has scar tissue and it's just really really bad. She can't breathe, so she goes and does a round of stem cells. Then she went back another time, and I just found out the other day that she's off the transplant list. Like it fixed her lungs. Like she's fine. I mean, she still goes, she does hyperbaric and she does all this other stuff, but the stem cells, like she's literally off the list. It's, and then there was the woman I met at, at Benacerre. She's 87 years old. A year and a half ago, she was in a wheelchair on oxygen. And now she drives there. Um, she went and did stem cells. She, she, I work, I work out. I see her work out with me. She pushes the sled. She's like, you can't tell she's 87. I mean, she's amazing. So it's, so, so it's like, when, I think when you really, really, really need it and it shows, that's when you can see, wow, I'm totally different. Because, I mean, you're young and healthy. So there's nothing wrong with you, right? I mean, for me, there's nothing necessarily wrong with me except I do have some heart issues because my my dad had the heart attack. So I'm like anal retentive about my heart. I'm getting it checked all the time. So I have a calcium buildup. If I don't do anything with my heart, I can't have the same fate my dad did when he's 66, when I'm 66. So I'm doing all this stuff that like, it's like my doctor, Carrie, who, by the way, is just amazing. She's like, look, man, and she, she's a doctor who doesn't pull any punch. She's like, look, you, you got a, a dealt a bad deck of cards genetically with your heart. That doesn't mean that you can't fix it, that you can't, you can't work around it. So that's what I'm doing. So I feel pretty good about that. So I go, I go for some more tests. It'd be cool to see it reverse, reverse the, I have calcium, reverse the cholesterol, I'll get my cholesterol down. So that's kind of where my program is right now. Yeah, awesome. Well, without hopefully not uh, breaching any confidential, confidentiality. No, I'm open by anything. Okay, there's another guy uh, that I we that you may know because his wife goes to Benacerre, but he had some heart issues and he went down maybe six months ago and he just went back to the doctor. The doctor's like, "You're good. You have no issues anymore." No uh, shit. Who uh, was it? Uh, Mike Bill. He, he, oh, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Mike. Mike and Laura. Yeah. 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 So. Let's jump wow. in. I want to get into your story. I get we can circle back around this, but I want to get into your story because I think you're uh one of the most humble, like interesting people uh around here for sure, and probably anywhere. Oh, uh, let me let's let me back up just a little bit. I know a lot of times people start with this, but I think it's worth going back to this. I want to talk about where uh how you got to where you're at today. Like where did you how did you get into radio? Where did you start in radio? And kind of let's talk about your story because I think there, there's some worthy things to highlight. I think you have an amazing story that I want to make sure people understand. Oh, wow. Well, thank you for that. Um, I, I grew up in Tucson and Chandler and I moved around a lot. My dad was in the restaurant business. So we moved around a lot. Like I actually went to school for a year in Mexico. Um, every week, my mom's Mexican. My father's from the Netherlands and everyone says I was a little kid. My dad gave me a tape recorder one time, an old school tape recorder. And, and he said he did that for me so we could watch the movie West Side Story together. Right. So we watched West Side Story and he told me tape the songs and use his tape recorder tape. So I was sat in front of the TV and I hold the microphone in front of the TV and I go back and listen to the songs. And I took my tape recorder and I started interviewing like my mom and my dad. Like I'd sit there with a the microphone. My mom would put makeup on and I'd go, mom, um, tell me about what you're doing. And she'd be like, I'm putting makeup on. You want me to talk about putting makeup on? Yeah, yeah. So I was just interviewing her all the time. 
And then I, you know, I'd go take a crap and I'd, I'd record myself pooping. I mean, I'm like nine years old, you know? And then I just always wanted to be on the radio. And then when I was in, we moved, we ended up in San Diego and I'm in college in San Diego. And a friend of mine tells me that there's a college radio station. And he goes, I dare you to go out for it. I'm like, hell yeah. So I went out for it and they, they took me. So they gave me a shift, which is a, was a Friday night. And I didn't know anything. They didn't even tell me how to work the equipment. I had to learn myself. And I, I'm playing a couple records. And, uh, and, and I, the program director, you know, he's a kid too. He's like, man, you sounded really great. That was great. Way to go. I love the way, cause I played the wrong record and he called me up and he got mad. It's called the hotline. He hotline me. Why are you play? I remember it was a John Cougar. <laughs> Why are you play that John Cougar record? I'm like, I like John Cougar. And he's like, yeah, but you got to stick to this playlist. So the I, side note, there was this beautiful cheerleader at school. I went to San Diego State. There was this beautiful cheerleader. And she, I bumped into her at a party and she started flirting with me and we ended up, she said she, we were going to go out. So I'm like, here's this hot cheerleader. She wanted to go on a Friday night. That's my shift, right? So I just didn't show up to the shift. I just blew it off. And uh, anyway, I got fired. But I did get laid. So to me, you know, you got to, you got to, at the time, that was very important. What? So I got fired. Then I was so in love with radio. I went and I got it. I interned, uh, I got a, uh, an internship at an alternative radio station called 91X in San Diego. And I was there. I worked there for 10 months and three days for free for college credit. And I, that put me, that, that really hooked me with radio. I, I did have an internship at a TV station before that. And TV was very boring, but radio, just to give you an idea, I mean, I was, I was there all day. I was there for the morning show. I was there for the midday show, afternoons at night. Cause I just couldn't get enough of it. I wanted, it was something just took over for me. So I remember one night I'm sitting with the, the night DJ. His name is Mike Halloran and he's a radio legend in alternative music. And he says, Hey, there's a band showing up. They're a new band. They're coming. I got a bunch of pizza. The pizza guy's dropping off the pizza and will you let the band in? I'm like, all right. I go, what's first? He goes, I don't know. Just go wait. So I'm waiting there and there's a, a doorbell ring at the radio station. And I open, I see a blue Volkswagen band, blue and white Volkswagen band pulls up. Pizza guy pulls up. Let the pizza guy in and the, everyone gets out of the van and, uh, this guy goes, Hey, we're here to see Mike. I go, yeah. What's your name? And he goes, my name's Kurt. I'm, this is, we're Nirvana. I go, I go, all oh, right. I follow me. So I did, they, they had one record out and they followed me down the hall. We sat down and I had Domino's pizza with Kurt Cobain and the whole band and, and the D and I'm like 19 years old, but you know, so a, a lot of radio people get a kick out of that story. That's awesome. That's awesome. So you're in San Diego. Did you start, you start selling for a radio station in San Diego? So I'm doing, I'm doing the, the internship and promotions and I'm looking at the nice cars in the drive, the pull, pull up. The people who have the nicest cars are the morning show guys and the top salespeople. So I was like, how do I get there? Now I'm already 1920 and I'm like, I, I should be on the radio already somewhere in a small market like Paducah, Kentucky. And then you work your way if you're on the air, but I wasn't on the radio. So I thought I'd go after the sales angle. And um, a friend of mine introduced me to a, a guy at another radio station, at a hip hop station, and they hired me. Um, actually, I was at a sports station first doing promotions, but then I got hired in, in the sales department at a hip hop station. And I remember I was making, they gave me a guarantee for six months of 3000 a month. And I was like, bro, I'm a retire. <laughs> you know, like this is so. I, I, I'm working at this hip hop station. My wife, my, my current wife, my wife now, she was working in the same building at a, at a, a Latino station, a Hispanic station. And I start selling and I'm doing okay, but it's not, it's not fun. Like I like watching the DJs do their thing. And I watched the morning show guy there 
and I learned from him. And then I go from that station to uh, a mellow station like KEZ because they gave me, they doubled their, they gave me more money to be a sales guy. So I'm over there working there for a while, but it's boring. You know, it's selling. I don't, I'm not, I'm okay at it, but I got to go home and take a nap. I'd go to the movies in the middle of the daytime, you know, but it wasn't, I wasn't passionate about it. So then I jump over to a jazz station. I'm making a little bit more money. I was making about $45,000 a year working uh, at a jazz station off at noon. I'd go surfing. You know, I mean, it was, it was a nice life, but I thought, I don't think I could do this forever. I bought a condo on the beach. I mean, it was, everything was fine. Well, I, I, my wife and I are getting pretty serious and she's like, you know, she's my girl, but she's like, so what do you want to do with your life? What are we going to do here? And I think she was kind of giving me that, you know, Hey man, but if I'm going to be with you, you better have a pass. And I said, well, honestly, I said, now I'm 26 or something like that. I go, I think I'd, uh, I want to be on the radio or I'd like to write skits for Saturday Night Live. And, and she's like, okay, let's figure out how to get there. And she takes yellow pads out and she's trying to, we're trying to figure out how to get there. And, Saturday Night Live seemed a lot easier than getting a, a morning show job. So, cause I didn't want to go to at 26 years old, go to Kentucky and do midnight to five for several years. And then you do, then you get bumped to afternoons and you get bumped to middays. You know, then eventually you get mornings. You don't just get mornings. So one of the ways to get on Saturday Night Live was to be on Second City, which is an improv troupe in Chicago. That's where Saturday Night Live gets their people. And from the groundlings in LA, which is another improv troupe. Will Ferrell was a groundling. Lisa Kudrow was a groundling. Conan O'Brien was a groundling. Um, what's her name? Uh, Kristen, Kristen. Oh my God. The one that's a bridesmaid. She was a groundling. So I, my wife says, let's go for the groundlings. So I drive to LA. I got to have a headshot. I don't have a headshot. I take a little picture in one of those little booths and the lady, the lady I auditioned for, if you remember Austin Powers, remember Frau Bissima? Yeah. She was the, Mindy. Her name is Mindy. I had to audition for her. And so she's, she's testing on my improv skills and I'm, I'm doing, she's throwing out all these accents and throwing out these different, okay, do this, do this. And then she was, she just laughed her ass off. She goes, okay, you know, you're in, come back next week. So I started taking classes at the groundlings. I would drive from San Diego to LA. I stay at my sister's house on Friday. I do groundlings all day Saturday. I'd go home Sunday. And I did that for about a year and I moved to the next level and I moved to the next level. And then, um, and then I remember my boss. My, my old boss, my, the first guy that ever hired me at a sports radio station where I was, I was doing, I was driving the van. Um, he called, he was in Cincinnati and he says, Hey, I got something cooking here. He goes, we're looking for a morning show. He says, but we don't want anyone that's been on the radio before. We want someone who's funny. And he goes, and I think you're really funny. And I said, Oh, thanks, man. And he goes, we're going to be at the Grammys next week. He goes, can you come out and meet us at the Grammys in LA? And I said, he goes, come out on Friday or come out on Sunday. The Grammys are Sunday. And I said, well, I got to be at work on Monday. And he's like, get your ass to the Grammys. I asked my boss, who's a sales guy, who, by the way, just died a few weeks ago. He says to me, he goes, uh, I go, hey, can I go to LA? Can I take Monday off? And he goes, you're not at budget. You can't do that. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? He goes, you can't. So I was so pissed. I, I called my old boss. I said, I can't go, man. And he goes, he goes, I tell you what we're going to do. He goes, I think you're the right guy for this job. I'm bringing the general manager. We're going to go to the Grammys. We're driving down Monday and we're going to see you Monday night. I'm like, okay. So he comes down Monday. We meet at the pennant. Remember the beach comer in the pennant? You know where that is? South Mission beach is a bar, a bar on the beach. And we just start talking and I had, and I just had them laughing. I was just talking about my bachelor party in new Orleans and, and all this stuff. And, um, he goes back home to Cincinnati and he calls me and he says, they want to fly you out for an audition. And I was like, okay. 
So I go and I do four days on the radio. I've never been on the radio in my life or outside of that college station. I did four days and I thought I killed it. And they partnered me up with this girl. She was been there forever and she was just mean to me, but I didn't care. So I did four days. Then I go get married and then I get on my honeymoon. And when I land on my honeymoon, I get a call going, you're in. They go, we, we want to hire you. And I was like, holy shit. I, and, and they're going to hire me to be the morning guy in Cincinnati. And I'd never been mornings, done mornings before. I didn't know anything, which is what they wanted, right? They didn't want someone that's, that knows radio. Like you can teach a funny person how to do radio, but you can't teach a radio person how to be funny, right? So I was like, I'm in, but here's the funny thing. We know you're in sales. And, and, and I mean, since this is a, a, a podcast about success, they go, uh, I'll tell you the, the, the truth. I never really told anybody this story. I was making about $42,000 a year, $45,000 a year. And they said, we know you're in sales. Um, uh, how much would you like? We, uh, we probably can't pay you what you're used to making. And I go, how about 75? And they go, we can give you 65. I go, done. <laughs> so I got myself a nice $20,000 raise. And I didn't know anything, man. So I go down there and I start in October, October 27th, 1996. I start on the air in Cincinnati. And by January, I had won best morning show. I had, I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just doing whatever I thought would be great. Right. And then, then they, you know, they signed me to a contract, gave me more money. And then it got to, then I was just killing everybody in Cincinnati where my competitors hired me to Houston. So I went to Houston and that's where. That's when the, you know, that's when you start making serious money. And I was, I I was so afraid of the money that I didn't know what to do. So I called my old boss. His name's Bruce Walton. He's Bill Walton's older brother, the basketball player, Bill Walton. And, and Bruce was like, I got you. And he hooked me up with all these people in his world. So, and I, to this day, I still have his entertainment lawyer. I still, he, his buddy handles all my money. Like I had this circle of guys that were all part of that that uh that I trust more than anything you know they've gone they've been with me since I've grown and the more successful I get the more uh, I go to these guys for help so I was in Houston and then Houston was a nightmare that was country music I'd never done country music before and that's that was top five cities in the country for radio top it was a top three or top four market and uh that was just miserable I was in Houston it was hot it was sweaty there were fire ants everywhere it was just it, they had country music. They wouldn't let me do anything that I was doing. Like before in Cincinnati, I was just going off, right? Now these guys are like, you can't do that. You can't do that. Don't, don't talk over this. And don't, I mean, it was freaking nuts, man. They brought in a talent coach. The talent coach was just a nightmare, you know? So, so far, are you into this? Am I, am I doing okay? Oh, no, this is perfect. You know what? Uh, so what, what point did you decide that you're just going to like be open and honest with everything? Cause you, you're pretty like, you let it fly, but I think you can because you're a genuine person and you, you've got nothing to hide. I Hopefully most people don't. But at what point in your career did you si- decide just to be like open, honest, and like very transparent mm-hmm. and that being kind of part of your, I don't want to call it a stick because it's genuine, but you know right. what I'm saying? So when, when well, I can tell you exactly. I can tell you exactly when it happened. So here I am in Cincinnati and I'm doing a radio show. I've never done radio in my life ever, right? I've watched these guys do it. And so who's the best radio personality in the history of the world? That's Howard Stern. So I am listening. I'm reading his books. I am. I, I watched his movie. And in his movie, there's a part in, in private parts where he tells his wife, I think he's at the gas station. He tells his wife, he goes, look, 
if I'm going to do this, I got to be real. I got to be honest. And I thought, okay, here, here's what my thought. I thought Howard Stern's on rock and roll radio. He's a shock jock. Can I do that? But in top 40, I'm going to be as honest as, as I can, but I'm not going to be that gritty as rock and roll radio. So I was just open with everything. And I tried that in country and country music is okay, but there's, they're just different. They're not, they weren't used to that yet. So then I left Houston and I went to Tucson and Tucson was exactly like Cincinnati. They're like, just do whatever you want. So that's when I really started to, you know, expand my openness and share. That's when I realized you really connect with your audience when you're as, you'd be as vulnerable as you can and people can relate to it. If you try to fake it, I think people can tell. So I just didn't want to do that. So I've been open with everybody ever since. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, and, and, uh, I would say, uh, that you're funny as shit, like even on tap, like you're the same person all across. So, I mean, I can, I can totally see how you, uh, embrace and embody that. Um, you know, one thing I stumbled into when I was just doing some research to like understand your background even more so was, uh, there was an article that talks about you're the highest paid California grown radio host. That's what this article said. Uh, oh, wow. so places, uh, but, but let's on that, like on the same token. So you were inducted to the, uh, inducted into the broadcasting hall of fame. What did that process consist of? Congrats. I was reading it. Obviously it's a big deal. Well, there's two. So I, we got put into the Arizona radio hall of fame and now we're nominated for the national hall of fame. And it's kind of surreal because it's, it we're with, <laughs> uh, Chuck Woolery, Shadow Stevens, like these, like Wink Martindale, like these legendary, radio tv people so um i think i find out if i win if we're going to get in or not but i mean just being nominated for that is is totally dope um and i don't know how that happens you know i don't know who submits it i don't know who votes but i try not to i, I try not to pay attention to that stuff like i just found out yesterday that we won best morning show and they and that was announced two weeks ago here locally and in one of the magazines i'm like how does someone not tell me that like you know like it's been two weeks like it just shows you not a lot of people read magazines <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah, totally. What What do you think your uh, What do you think your greatest natural gift is? Like, I know you're a pretty humble person, but it, this might be hard to answer. But you're pretty straightforward as well. But what makes you good at what you do? I think I try to be as open and as vulnerable as I can on the radio. Um, I, if, that, if that's my natural, what'd you say? My natural, my my what? Your Your greatest like natural gift, like what oh, do natural. you? Yeah, what do you do better than everybody else? But there's other people that are vulnerable, but they wouldn't be a good radio host. I, from what I've been told by by uh, higher ups is that like I know how to talk to people. I think I ask the questions people want to ask. I think I, I don't. I don't know. I try to. I try to be as honest as I can on the radio. I try to. I mean, sometimes you can't. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta keep that quiet. You know, if something happens, all right, I can't say this. You know, you know what I mean. But I try to be as open as I can with my life. And I try to respect other people's boundaries now. Like a lot of times, if back in the day when I first started, if I was sitting in a room and somebody said something, and I'd be like, ooh, I'd take a mental note. And then the next day, I'd be on the air going, oh, man, this. So now, if somebody says something, I'd be like, can I share that? Or, you know, is that – or or they'll say, hey, don't say that. If someone ever told me don't say that on the radio, I'd never say it on the radio. But I'm always looking for content. That's something I'm always doing, too. I'm always looking for – I mean, look, my face is all chopped up. I did this thing today. I got, they asked me to do it a while ago. I said, yes, just because I have a story to tell tomorrow. They did a micro needling on my face and they put 
They put some stuff in my skull to help my hair grow. Does it work? I don't know. <laughs> but I have a fun story to tell tomorrow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Hey, who's been the most interesting person that you've interviewed to date? Oprah was really good. Um, Charlie Sheen was amazing. Uh, man, who's I, 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 to me, the most interesting people we've spoken to are, are, are actual listeners, real people, you know, like these celebrities. I'm kind of over celebrities now because now it's evolved to this level where they say, here are the things you can ask. Here are the things I want to talk about. And I'm just like, forget it. So if you ever hear me interviewing a celebrity, it's because either they're just so massive, I have to, or they've agreed to let me ask whatever I want to ask, you know? And it's not like I go, you know, it's funny you said in the beginning of the interview, and I don't know if this was on the interview before, but you said that I don't like to research people. That has bit me in the ass a few times, by the way. You know, like I remember we interviewed, um, <laughs> we interviewed a very, very Bruno Mars, for example. Bruno Mars, he was coming in on a, on a, on a Friday, uh, it was a Monday. And so, they go, okay, Bruno's coming in. Do not talk about the cocaine bust. Do not talk about that. And I'm like, cocaine bust? I don't know what you're talking about. So I'm like Googling it. And I'm like, oh, shit. And I'm like, how do I not talk about it? Or like Justin Bieber. We had Selena Gomez on. And Selena Gomez, like her and Bieber broke up. But I didn't know. I didn't ask anything about it, right? And the next day, Ryan Seacrest got it right after me. And he's asking all these questions. I'm like, shit, I should have looked that up. I should have looked that up. Or do you remember when Ashley Simpson was on Saturday Night Live? And she was lip syncing. She got caught lip syncing. Do you remember that? Yeah. So we had, uh, we were interviewing the Goo Goo Dolls, and the Goo Goo Dolls were talking about. We're talking. Hey, you guys perform live all the time. They were like, Yeah, we perform live. Not like some people. And I look at Rich. I'm like, What the fuck's he talking about? Like, but Ashley Simpson just got caught lip syncing on Saturday Night Live the night before. It was a front page of every paper. It was everywhere. And I'm like, Oh hell, I have no idea what they were talking. Like, I was a little out of touch. But so now I try to do a little research. But not too much because I always want to. I want to discover things. Like I always looked at it. Like, let's say I'm on a Southwest flight. You remember when Southwest had those seats that faced each other? Yeah. So I always looked at interviewing somebody. Like I'm on an hour flight to LA. This person's sitting right across from me. I don't know who they are, so I'm just going to interview them until I find out who they are. But sometimes, you know, they're famous. You should know that J Lo dated P Diddy. You know what I mean? Like, but I didn't that kind of shit so yeah, yeah aside from the morning show <clears throat> what else uh have you do you do you like to do most professionally like i heard i thought i read or heard you doing a you do like the after morning show podcast right and then uh, have, afterwards yeah afterwards podcast yeah afterwards. and then you've also done like another podcast where you were uh interviewing people about basketball they're like parents or, or coaches <clears throat> or parents of basketball athletes like what else do you enjoy, what else have you done that you really enjoy aside from the radio show? Well, I enjoy uh I really like that basketball podcast cuz you know you, you know your son and my son were in basketball together and I didn't know much about basketball, but my son was like this is the path. He goes I want to take this path. So I was like shit, how am I going to learn about all this? And I thought one of the ways I can learn about it is I'm going to do a basketball podcast and start talking to people in the basketball world. And if I ask them a stupid question, I ask them a stupid question. So I thought maybe there's parents that are like me that can listen to this podcast and learn as I learn. And it turned out to be pretty damn successful. But what I didn't like was booking the interviews because I didn't, I have an assistant, but she's for my personal stuff. You know, she doesn't, and I have a staff of people on the show, but they're for the show. And this was outside of the show because they already got a lot going on with just the show stuff. So I was like booking people myself and I was, and I didn't want to work hard at it. 
You know, I didn't want to track down Mike Krzyzewski and go through an email and go through the publicist and go through the school publicist and explain that, that, you know what I mean? I didn't want to. So I was just using people that I knew. And with that, it started to grow. But then my kid got picked up in college and which is, so I was like, I'm there. I, I, I know what I need to know. But now it's like kind of coming back. Like iHeart, I had a meet, I was in LA last week and iHeart asked me to, to do a, a special podcast that they were going to sell to Barstool or something. Barstool. Oh no. What's that betting? The bet, there's a betting, a betting app. Um, fuel, fuel, uh, shit. Yeah. No, well, there's a, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's FanDuel, 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 FanDuel wants, so FanDuel wants to, so now it's like, oh, there's money involved and they're already going like, we'll give you this percentage. We'll give you this percentage. And, and I was like, okay, so now, but then my whole pitch back to them was like, I don't want to book the guests. Tell me I got to be at 10 o'clock somewhere or 11 o'clock to do the interview and I'll do the interview. I don't want to book it. So, cause I got, I mean, I'm doing the radio show. Uh, I'm focusing on my health and then, and then it's like, I got my family. So, but I can make time for a podcast, but I don't want to spend all this time myself booking the interviews. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. What, uh, <clears throat> So you've built obviously uh, a pretty big following and I, I feel like you have a good system naturally. Like you talk about stuff on the show, you post stuff, you talk about your posts. It seems like there's like a bit of a system to help kind of grow your following and promote the show, promote you. Like, has that been, is that like a natural thing or have you really like had to figure it out? Like how have you gotten to the point where you have such a good following and you enjoy posting as much as you do? Um, I think I've always thought that there should be a, a media mix, even before social media, like TV, radio. I'm not a big fan of billboards, but because you think about billboards, you can't really remember any billboards, right? But I was always thought there should be a mix. So what I started doing was when social media came, became as huge as it was, I started having different storylines. I would have a storyline on the radio and the storyline on social media. And then it was like they would feed off each other. Somebody would say, I heard you say this on the radio or someone said, I saw this on your Twitter or, Hey, I saw this on Instagram. And then it just started, they started just marketing each other and they really started to grow really fast. It was one of them. Actually, they brought up my Instagram. I remember I had 150,000 followers on Instagram at the time. And it was within the company, the whole iHeart. They were like comparing me to Charlemagne and Ryan Seacrest and they had more followers, but I had more engagement because right? I was going back and forth people. And then. It was going really well. And then I got in this big fight with this band and all hell broke loose, man. And I've literally seen my followers. I've seen the growth stop. I've been at 187,000 followers on Instagram for about two years, three years. And it's literally because of a misunderstanding with a K-pop band and their fans came after me and red flagged everything. Everything I do, they report and block everything. And it is what it is, but... The radio numbers are there, so I know that's all that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, uh, you know what I want to talk about? Um, your morning ritual. Like, you have to get up at what time? Like, let's talk about this because, and you're working on your sleep, but I, I do want to go back to that. We, it's something that we always talk about on this show is like how somebody's, you know, kind of rituals help them become the person that they are. But like, you have some pretty crazy morning ritual, like just the, the time that you have to get up. So talk about your schedule and talk about how you, <clears throat> you know, kind of schedule stuff in based on your schedule and live a normal life. I'm pretty obsessed with these rituals and, and they don't make, they might not make sense to a normal person because I don't think that I'm normal in this regard. But so I have my alarm set up for three twenty in the morning, right? 
but it's really not 3.20. I haven't said 20 minutes fast. I haven't said, so it's really 3 a.m. when my alarm goes off, but it says 3.20 on my clock. So that when I get up and I walk over to my phone in my bathroom, it'll say 3 a.m. and I feel like I'm way ahead of the game. It's a weird thing I do in my head, but I usually get up way before my alarm. Like this morning, I got up at 2.45 in the morning. So one of the first things I do is I have a journal. The first thing I do, I have a journal and I write in my journal, um, I write down all the things I can think of that I'm grateful for. Right. And then I write down three things that I want, that I want to happen today, uh, that I put out there to manifest. And then I have this Bible. It's a coach's Bible and it's, it's freaking fantastic. And you have every day, it'll have a Bible verse and it, it's, it's something written from a, a famous coach will tell you how he incorporated the Bible into his coaching. Right. So I'll read that. And then I have this book called daily wisdom and I read every day, whatever the daily wisdom is of the day. Then I do like 10 push-ups, and then I go downstairs and I turn on the coffee maker uh, because I'm fasting. I do an 18-hour fast, and then I go and I jump in my hot tub for about 15, 20 minutes, and in the hot tub, I meditate. And in the hot tub, I, I manifest, and I talk about the things that I'm grateful for, and I actually have a list of people and families that I pray for that have touched me in my life. They don't know I pray for them. That is people that are friends, family, people I've met before, people that just have impacted me. And I have this list of names that I pray for out loud. And then I do some stretches in the hot tub. Then I get out of the hot tub and I jump in the cold plunge, which is about 33, 35 degrees, maybe 36 degrees. But it's, it's, it, it has jets. So the water is not frozen, but these jets, if you ask Ian from spiritual gangster, he hates my cold plunge because it's so hurtful. These jets are ice cold, man. They're just freaking hitting you. And I mean, so that I go underwater and I stay in there for about two or three to mi- two to three minutes in the morning. And I am just pink and frozen when I get out of there. And then I, ch- I have an outdoor, outdoor shower. I shower. I go and I drink a bunch of water. I take my, I drink two cups of coffee. Uh, and then I get dressed. I kiss my wife goodbye and I get to the radio station around four, four fifteen. And, and oh, and on the way to the radio station, I again, Man, I say the things that I'm grateful for, and I have a couple mantras that I say out loud. Like I say that I am the number one radio show in America. I say that I am the number one radio show in Phoenix, Arizona. And then I feel like I have to say all the markets we're in. I'm the number one radio show in Colorado. I'm the number one radio show in Texas. I'm the number one. Ra- and I, I put all that out there over and over and over again because I feel if I say it, it's going to happen. Uh, and then I park and then I say I'm a great husband. I'm a great father. I'm a great radio show host. Uh, and then I walk into the radio station, bam, it's showtime. That's my ritual. I love it. I love it. That is amazing. That actually, out of all the people we've ever had on the podcast, that might be the clearest, best uh, morning ritual uh, that I've, we've heard for sure. 100%. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well. Then, you know, some of the other stuff uh, that I know, like, it's clear that your family is a huge priority uh, for you. You know, obviously, you're super excited about your your boys coming in town. Hopefully, we're not cutting into that time. But No, no, no. That's a couple more hours. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, t- talk about, like, you know, what it means. I mean, I think it's, we can make, I can make some assumptions and soak in the audience. But, you know, why is being a father and being a great husband and, you know, family person and all the stuff you just talked about? I mean, you're a genuine good person. But particularly... What what is about what is it about being a father that you've most enjoyed? Man, that's that's a great question, and I you know I, if I let myself go there, I could get so emotional about it and cry. It's so easy to talk about my kids and and cry about them because it's just they're so amazing. My wife and I tried to have we we struggled with fertility; we couldn't get pregnant for the longest time, 
Um, we even had twin girls that passed away. So that's, that's makes it more valuable to me that we've worked really hard for these three kids and to see their per- personalities. It's almost like when I look at my three boys, I feel like I see the best qualities from me that have gone in them. And I see the best qualities from my wife in both, in all three of these kids. So it's like, it, it's just so amazing. You know what I mean? Like to have a conversation with this kid that was just shitting in his diapers not that long ago. And here I am asking him for fashion advice or I'm talking to, you know what I mean? Like, it's just amazing. And I wish, I feel like I paid attention to their lives growing up, but I wish I would have paid more attention if that makes sense. Cause I felt like I was like, my dad worked his ass off, man. He worked 18 hours a day. He was, he was almost never home. And I feel like because of my job, I'm, I've been at everything I could possibly be at for all my kids, basketball games, boy scouts, camping trips, football games, baseball games, soccer games. I tried to be at every single thing I'd be at. Um, I just wanted to make sure they knew I was always there. And I love taking them to driving into practice. And my youngest son is almost 17. He drives, but I want to take him everywhere. You know, um, I just want, I think our jobs is to make sure that they're better than us. You know what I mean? So I want to make sure that my kids, wherever path they're on, that they're just, I just want them to have character, integrity, morals, and just be great, great young men. That's, that's my goal. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever have the, the concern of, uh, your boys are awesome because I've obviously met them. Uh, but do you ever have a concern that, that we, at least, uh, and I think this, I may be speaking for you, but we've got, we have it better off than our parents did, right? Yes. Have it better off than we have it just because right. us. Right. Like, have we gotten to the point where you're concerned, like, where, if it, is it going to, like, what happens if that ends or if it, you know what I mean? Like, I always worry, like, we got them to a point where maybe they have it better way, you know, so much better than we had it that it might be this point where, like, they don't even understand it the same way we did to a certain extent. I mean, does that ever like cross your mind? Wait, so do you mean you think that they're going to like just sit back and enjoy the fruits of our labor? Like I, like, mm-hmm. is that what you mean? Like they don't know, like my kids don't know, like they don't know. My mom worked at Burger King. My dad was assistant manager at Taco Bell. Like I worked my ass off to be here. I had a blast doing it, but they don't know. Like my son turned 16. He got a car, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and it's like that doesn't that didn't happen in my life. You know, that doesn't happen. I took the bus. <laughs> you know what I mean? I rode a bike. Like my second kid, he turned 16, he got a car, he didn't even drive until he was 18. You know, he didn't care. You know what I mean? Like my third kid, I'm like, fuck you, you're not getting a car. So <laughs> so I I don't I know exactly what you mean. I don't know how to say it right, but I do believe that's where like my son just got home from U of A today. And he has three A's and two B's and a C. And I am just, I never got an A in college. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, this is fantastic, man. My youngest son's got, he's got a 4.0. My older son, my middle son in Hawaii, has got a 4.0 and he's playing basketball full time. So it's like, to me, that's their job. Get the good grades. But I also got to teach them work ethic, which is why Boy Scouts, by the way, is fantastic. And so, so is being in a sport. You got to be disciplined. So I'm, I'm, everybody has their own path. And these three kids, I think are right on the right path. And because of their mom, their mom has been like, if I just, if I was, a, I don't know how single parents do it, but if I was a single parent, I think my kids would be freaking in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Now Blake is amazing. His wife is absolutely amazing. I yeah. mean, 
going all the way back to your story, she basically reverse engineered your career and helped. She you did. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for her. I mean, literally 100%. She's amazing. You know, she's literally amazing. And then you got to behave like, you know, like my wife always said, values are caught. They're not taught. You know, so it's like you can teach your kid to be a good kid. But if they don't see me opening the door for their mom, they don't see me kissing her and being respectful to her and other people. They're, you know, they're watching all that. So it's like you got to, you really got to pay attention to what, what's going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you know, one thing I want to touch on as, as we're coming up kind of on the hour, I'm, I'm not, I don't necessarily have a hard stop, but I want to be respectful of your time is, uh, you know, you, I know give, giving back is big for you. And, and, you know, you kind of, you walk the talk, uh, with love up and, and love pup. Um, uh, you know, talk about how those came to be, like, you know, what impact they have on you. And, you know, I just kind of want to know, cause I think a lot of people that I meet, at least they want to give back, but they don't, they don't, you know, they don't actually take the steps that you've taken. Um, so, you know, talk about how those came to be and, and, you know, what, what they mean to you. Well, we have two foundations, my wife and I love up and love pup. Um, and my wife has always said, she goes, if you, if all of a sudden you're gone tomorrow, will your community miss you? And that made such an impact on me that I was like, man, I have this platform. I have access to all this stuff. I can do all these things. How can I help people? So we used to do that. We used to, Rich and I created about 20 years ago, the John J. Rich Cares for Kids Foundation, where we were doing all, raising money to help kids, all kinds, every kid everywhere. And we use that mostly at Christmas time. Well, um, love up started because I, I haven't told this story in a while, but my son Kemp played football with Kurt Warner's son, um, Elijah, who played, he's a quarterback somewhere right now at Tufts. No, I don't know. He's a quarterback somewhere in, in college. Uh, he's a great kid. And Kurt and I were friends and our families were friends. And one day Kurt couldn't make it to a game and he was in LA doing something for the NFL and he was asking me for updates about the game. And I was like, you know, EJ just threw past the camp. Camp scored a touchdown. We just won. Blah, blah, and we won the game. And he goes, oh, man, that's fantastic. And he goes, love up. And he goes, oops. He goes, I meant to say love it. And I was like, and I'm staring at love up on my phone. And I'm like, I go, hey, love up is, is cool. You should, you should use that. I said, you could use that because he has this foundation. I can't remember the foundation, but he's a, he does a lot of stuff for kids, a lot of stuff for families. Um. And I said, you should use this, you know, do something good in your life and he, use love up. And he just goes, LOL. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to use it. This was on a Sunday. So Monday morning, I go on the air and I'm like, I tell this story and I said, love up. I go, I feel like love up could be something big. I said, maybe you could just take a second out of your day and do something nice for somebody. Or maybe it's love up. You're looking up at whatever power you believe in. If it's spiritual, if it's Gandhi or Buddha or Jesus or Muhammad, whoever it is. You just take a minute out of your day and 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 give peace. Um, I said, or you just hold the door open for somebody, do something nice. So I told that story on the air, and then the next day somebody came up and they brought a T-shirt to the radio station that they made, and it said "Love Up" hashtag Love Up, and I put it on, and I was like, and I posted it, and I go check out this shirt. I go, if you want to buy one, go here. And the dude, like I think it was about three weeks later, he comes over to me, he shows up at the radio station with the the T-shirt guy, and he goes, here, man. I go, what's this? It was a check for $25,000. I said, what's this? Go, what is this? And he goes, that's, that's your cut of the money of all the shirts I sold. I'm like, what? And he goes, yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. And I'm like, well, let's make another one. 
So we started at one point we were pulling in about a hundred thousand dollars a month and we were giving it right back, man. We were putting it in, in, in foster kids. We were, uh, you know, kids that, uh, families that needed a swimming pool fence. I was looking for stories in the news where we could come in and we could help these families. So we were blown through that money. And now all of a sudden I was like, wait, we've got something here. I, I've got to, I've got to make this legal, you know, cause I was just doing stuff. I was just giving all this money to people. Um, so we started the Love Up Foundation. We took John J. Rich Cares for Kids and we morphed it into the Love Up Foundation. Now Cares for Kids is now a program under Love Up as is Christmas Wish. And then one day I'm on the air and my wife texts me and says, some people in, by, by the high, by the elementary school where our kids went to elementary school, they found a chihuahua. She goes, um, they want to know if you can help. Can, do you want to take it? I'm like, we don't want to take a chihuahua. And I said to my wife, can you go get it? Go pick it up. So she went to, cause it was close to her. She picked up the chihuahua and she sent me a picture of this chihuahua. And I was like, damn, it's a cute dog. I go here. Let me, let me, let me post it. So I posted a picture. I said, does anybody want this chihuahua? I knew nothing about dog rescue. And all of a sudden all these families go, oh my God, we'll take it. It's beautiful. So I'm, I'm interviewing these families. And I, I'm still on the air and I asked my wife to go to that bank on 44th Street, you know, that, that Chase Bank. I go, can you go to that little grassy area and meet this family there? And if they're really nice, I, I go, I should be there. I'm off the air. I should be there in 10 minutes. So my wife says, sure. So my wife takes the dog to the park. The family shows up. I get there. And I'm like, so here's the Chihuahua. And this family starts crying and they're like, Oh my God, this is the most beautiful dog. And the, what I saw happen in front of our eyes was just absolutely magic when this dog and the dog was so happy to see this family. And I was like, holy smokes. I go, that was great. So the next day I go on the air and I tell this story. And all of a sudden, Max, I start getting messages like, um, my mom just went into a home. Can you take her dog? Um, I found this stray in this apartment complex. Can you take it? And all these people start messaging. And I'm like, yeah. So I start taking in all these dogs. And then this woman calls up. She goes, you know, you're doing love up. Maybe you should do something called love pup. And I was like, what a great idea. So anyway, I'm flipping these dogs. Like I'd get a dog at noon and I'd get a new home for it at three. Which, by the way, is totally wrong. You can't do that if you, because you know, I don't know if this family is looking for this dog, right? So I'm, I'm placing it in other homes. Then I find out the protocol, and then we just evolved into this legitimate, incredible shelter. So we had to split the foundation. We started another foundation, Love Up, Love Pup, and Love Up Five Hundred One Three Cs, and we have a board, two boards. And I was telling you how when I drive in the morning, I always talk about what I'm grateful for. I'm, I'm always grateful that I can give back to the community the way I do, and I want to do more. I'm grateful for Love Up and Love Pup and our foundations and our board and our staff because they are working 24-7, man, to help everybody. I mean, we do stuff. The thing about we help kids in foster care, and the thing that's so hard about that, you can't really talk about it. You can't really show these kids because they have, you know, they're being they're being held by the government and they can't, they can't. Some of them have severed rights from the parents. Some of them, their parents are being, you know, they're kept away from their parents because of abuse. You know, so I can't really show you. Look at this eight-year-old. You know, he's getting his picture taken right now to get posted on a website so someone can adopt him. It's really weird, these weird laws with that. But like on, on Saturday, Rich and I were at the fire museum and we had 25, 30 kids that we were getting all cleaned up, got them new clothes, getting pictures taken to be posted on a website so that families can adopt them. I mean, it's really emotional, but we, we paid for it. We take a bunch of kids in foster care. We get them to graduation. We give them, cause when you turn 18, they're out. So we get these kids to graduate high school and we help them find jobs. We get them backpacks. We give them laptops. We have this huge graduation party for them. At Christmas time, we go shopping for all these kids, hundreds of kids, five, six hundred kids. We get them Christmas. We shop specifically for these kids. Then we have a big party at the princess. We have all this food. We have Santa Claus. We have fireworks. We have everything for these kids. We just try to do as much as we can for these kids. Man, I keep, 
I talk too much. Sorry, Max. Oh, no, I, that all that too. You that was perfect. I love it. It makes me uh, want to help you get involved in that, which we can talk about uh, more. So, how many dogs did you have before you started the foundation? Because I know you've got a, a army of dogs at home. We had about five or six dogs, and we ended up getting up to seven dogs that we had that we that were ours that we kept. They called foster failures. Now, a couple of them, they're all old now. Two of them that we have five dogs now. Um, but we had at one point we had thirty dogs in our house. I mean, you know, it was chaos, and they were all sleeping with my kids. They'd sleep in the closet, laundry room, in the guest house. You know, dog would have puppies. We put all the, the mama dog and all the puppies in our guest house. I mean, it was freaking nuts. And then we were able to b- get a building and, and people donated. It's a beautiful shelter, man. It's really beautiful. And we have lots of, we have these, it's great. The Diamondbacks bought a, bought a, bought a, uh, a kennel, Learner and Robot, a kennel. We have all these kennels that are sponsored and we've raised so much money. And not only that, but like my wife, she's the mate, she's created these programs. So, like, let's say you adopt a dog from Maricopa County, right? Anybody goes and adopts a dog. Love Pup pays for the chip. Every dog is chipped. We pay for it because they weren't, no one's getting chipped before. We're just trying to help, you know, make the pop. If you lose the dog, we pay for all the guns for all the cops to have to chip to to, to scan the dog and say, oh, this dog belongs to so and so. All the, all the officers have these guns that we pay for. We have all these different programs. Like, if you are homeless, um, and you can't afford to pay for your dog. We pay for the dog surgery. We do how the dog is forever. We have, my wife's incre- and created all these incredible programs. And then we have Love Pup Family Fest, which that started a few years ago. That's turned into something humongous. We bring in these bands. Um, we invite every dog shelter in Arizona to display their dogs. It's free to the public. And then you see these, it's like 20,000 people show up and all the dogs get adopted. It's incredible. Man, I love it. I love it. You know, I got to get more involved in that with you. I know that you, you know, probably talk about it on the radio and I just need to make the effort, but I'd love to, uh, get involved in some of that. You should go up to some of the, go to some of the events that you're talking about. Like that'd be amazing. I mean, we're in the same community. We actually have, uh, we've had people that just drop dogs off right on our street. And then they, I I think it's because they don't want them and they just assume because it's, you know, it's a nicer neighborhood that it's going to, these dogs are going to get taken care of. So I've had my neighbors. You're like, whose dog is this? And we can't figure it out. And we end up having to f- figure out somebody to take it. Uh, I can't believe I didn't put two and two together to call you. Like, that would have been the, one of the easiest uh, things. So the other neighbors. Well, are you sure? Because I can't tell you how many dogs we get from our street that people call. Like, I mean, there were the most recent one, there were three dogs dumped between your house and my house. Three, yeah, they, uh, yeah. That's what yeah, I mean. We, they were dumping them. Yeah, we took those dogs in, these three dogs. They were beautiful. They were covered in ticks. Someone just left them on the street, on our street, which is your street and my street. And then we took them in, uh, we got them fixed, we got them healthy, and we found them all homes. So I mean, it happens, it happens all, I think, I think that I'm part of the problem with that because I think people know I live on this street. And <laughs> yeah. I really, I, I swear to God, I think they dump dogs on the street thinking that it'll, they don't know where my house is exactly, but eventually somebody will find us. It happens so much now. It's crazy. Well, I'll, I'll post your, uh, your address so everybody knows. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. You're lucky. You're like hidden. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, man, I appreciate um, all the work. And, uh, you know, for those that are listening, where where is there? Is, obviously, there's websites. You can go to Love Up Foundation, Love Pup Foundation. You can find all this information that we're, we're talking about. Yeah. Well, eat, there's loveupfoundation.org, lovepupfoundation.org, and then yeah. also on, on social media, the same, same names. Got it. All right. 
Well, I'm going to start wrapping up. What, what are, how, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Obviously, you're, you're uh, active on Instagram, but people may or may not be able to find you there because people are blocking you. But uh, Instagram. <laughs> no, you can, if you search John J. Van S on Instagram, I think that's the easiest way to get a hold of me. It's so funny because you know how you got, there's fax machines are so old. People are like, fax? Well, that's how I feel about email now. I never look at my emails. I'm like, I feel like yeah, you, if you know me, you can text me. If you don't know me, I'll get to my emails eventually. But if you shoot me a DM on Instagram, I'm always on Instagram. So I'm always look, I'm always looking for content. So I'm always on look. I'm I'm on Instagram looking at messages, interacting with people, trying to find something that's you know. I just got a message today from a guy. Check this out. So Mother's Day is around the corner. I can't stop thinking about this. We did a segment called "What Do You Wish You Didn't Know About Your Mom." This guy messaged me today, and I have to hope to have him on the air tomorrow. It's just I wish I didn't know my mom was a prostitute because that's where my sister and I came from. And I just can't wait to unpack that tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Like, what do you mean? Like, how were you raised? Are you close to your mom now? Did you know who your dad is? Are they different dads? Are they just random strangers? Like, that's so insane to me. And then that the fact that you know, I had another guy message me, or we had him on the air a little bit ago, uh, a woman. She found out that her mom was part of a 30-guy gangbang. Right? I'm like, I'm like, man, how do how does that make you feel? I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's like, a lot whew. to unpack there. That's a that's a long conversation. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of pieces of content in there. It's a lot of fun though. Awesome, awesome. Well, man, again, so grateful to have you on the show um, and learned a lot about you. Uh, some of which I knew, but all all of it's uh, fun to relearn and and to learn more was was awesome. Um, and appreciate everything you're doing. We'll continue to, if you guys don't listen to John Jay on uh, Kiss FM, uh, please do so. You'll be very much entertained. So thanks thanks again for being on the show. And uh, any last parting words before I start wrapping up? Well, a couple things. One is you look really shredded on this video. And I know this is audio, but you look shredded, A. B, um, you gave me an idea. So, you know, that podcast, I was in that sports podcast I was doing, um, it's called Riding the Bench. And I haven't, I don't think I've done one in a year, maybe, or less, maybe eight months, but I want, I thought about evolving it into, um, like talking to you and your career, it's kind of what you're doing with me. Maybe it's the same thing you're doing, but like I was sitting there the other day, I was at the Suns game. And I was talking to Sam Fox and that guy's so fascinating. I was like, I want to get him on. I should talk to him like, and talk to you, like talk to my doctor. I want to talk to different people. So if I get that together, I would like you to be my guest on my podcast. If that's cool. Oh man, I'd love it. Face love to it. face though, dude. Face to oh, face. Yeah, no, I'll do face to face. I used, to, I told you, uh, I used to do face to face in Dave Pratt's studio at Fashion Square, but most of my guests are in other states. And then during COVID, I was kind of like, let's, let's just right. get content out there and we'll just do Zoom. So you know who you should interview? You should interview the scientist, uh, Raphael, the guy behind the stem cell. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like him. He's hilarious. I had great conversations with him. He's badass, dude. He's badass. I'm gonna yeah. put him. I'm gonna do one with him too. Yeah. But <laughs> awesome. anyway, all right, you well, guys. Thanks, Max. This was this was a pleasure. Yeah. Yes. Big pleasure. Big pleasure. I uh, again, I look forward to seeing him in the hood. I, I feel like I run into you uh, often enough and keep in touch with you. So I look forward to keeping up that uh, keeping in touch with you. Yeah, I'm looking at another Cancun trip in October, November. By the way, if you want to go? All right, I'm in. All right, bro. Thanks, Max. John Jay. You guys have been listening to Built on Purpose podcast with Max Hansen brought to you by Scouts. You can find all of our past and future podcasts at Wisecouts.com. Thanks again, John Jay. You got it. I'm going to go to your website right now. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks again. You got it, brother. 
Thanks for listening to the Built on Purpose podcast, where on each episode, we interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. You can hear any of our previous shows 24-7 wherever you get your podcasts.